And because India and France are closely cooperating on space and defense issues, India will have greater leverage or a, a greater a, a greater voice in how it shapes space threat reduction and the regulate the regulation of space activities. So this is quite significant in the way that India has slowly managed to ease its way into international negotiations. From the Defense and Aerospace Report, this is the Downlink, a podcast about the intersection of space, the space business, and defense. Not just what's over the horizon, but what's happening above it. I'm your host, Laura Winter. Hello, podcasters. This week in Paris, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi and French President Emmanuel Macron announced a further deepening of their two nations' defense cooperation. This time, it includes the space domain. For decades, the two nations have worked closely together in both defense and space. And of note, India is one of the world's largest arms importers. Russia is India's largest supplier. But over the past five years, India has been steadily turning to France, especially for advanced weapon systems like fighter jets. But since February this year, Russia has pointedly strengthened ties with China, which has laid claim to parts of India. And India is under enormous pressure to join the international community in condemning and sanctioning Russia for its war in Ukraine. India is in a tough spot. That bind also extends to India's space aspirations. As recently as December, India and Russia agreed to cooperate on human space flight and navigation satellites. As a practical matter, sanctions are expected to severely damage Russia's future space capabilities. To get the Indian perspective on this week's agreement with France and more, I spoke with Narayan Prasad. He's a longtime space entrepreneur, now based in Berlin, and Pranav Satyanath, a research analyst with the Takshashila Institution Strategic Studies Program in Bangalore. Here is our conversation. Hello, Narayan. Pranav, welcome to the Downlink. Hi, Laura. Yeah, thank you for having us here. Everyone should understand that this recording is being made on three continents. One person is coming from India, one person is in Europe, and I am in Washington, D.C. Now, Narayan Pranav, as this is your first time on the podcast, please take a moment to introduce yourselves and your organizations. Narayan, why don't you go first? So thank you very much uh, for having me and uh, Pranav here. Um, I am um, an entrepreneur uh, running a company called SatSearch. Uh, with a few colleagues here in, in Europe, uh, but primarily uh, coming out of experiences based in, in India. And uh, essentially, we are a marketplace uh, today running the largest marketplace in the space industry where we have about 20,000 users that leverage our platform to identify suppliers around the world that they want to then use in their space missions. And you also happen to have a pretty kick-ass podcast as well, don't you? Absolutely. I mean, one of the things that we see in the industry is that uh, places like uh, India are not very well researched and what not very well understood. And as a part of uh, you know demystifying the country as such, I've been running a podcast called The New Space India for the last three years, just kind of trying to demystify the region and the people to people around the world. And Pranav, what about you? I'm, I'm a researcher at uh, the Takshashila Institution. Um, it's an independent think tank in Bangalore, India. 
uh, we focus on uh, military strategies, space policy, public health, uh, technology policy, and everything across the board that's related to public policy. Uh, the institution also has a policy school, uh, which aims to train um, um, a new a new breed of policymakers and uh, future policy leaders uh, across the country. And uh, my focus is mainly on nuclear and space policy. For my listeners outside of India and France, can you give us the background to India's space relationship with France? And Pranav, why don't you start with that? The Indian and French uh, space cooperation uh, goes back a really, really long time, uh, as far back as the 1960s. If we look at the Indian propulsion system today, what we call the Vikas engine, is essentially built uh, is essentially built upon a licensed production of a French design, which was in 1972. And uh, since then, India and France have had a very, very robust cooperation. At times, the relationship of the Indo-French relationship has been rocky, particularly after India's 1998 nuclear tests. And uh, in this 57 years of cooperation, the the two countries have achieved quite a lot, including uh, launching a joint mission for mapping the Indian Ocean. And in 2014, during the 50th anniversary of the Indo-Space Cooperation, the representative of the French uh, agency, Matthew Weiss uh, said that the Indians, the, the Indian and French space cooperation has never been uh, has never been disturbed by any international event, including the sanctions that was imposed by the United States. Uh, although this time was quite turbulent, uh, India and France did manage to improve their relations over time. So the natural trajectory in the 2020s is to increase cooperation and enter the realm of uh, defense cooperation. Since uh, after India tested its anti-satellite interceptor in 2019, space security became all the more important for France. In 2020, uh, France renamed its uh, Air Force as the French Air and Space Force, which signified how France thinks about space defense as well. Uh, So I I find that the the, the Indo-French space cooperation relationship has taken a natural trajectory towards cooperating on almost all aspects of space. Now, as France and India have also had close ties in the defense industrial sector for years, you know, with that context, can you explain what this last week's announcement between France and India is and how significant is it? Yes, uh, just for the listeners, uh, last week, Prime Minister Narendra Modi and uh, President Emmanuel Macron signed a range of agreements in which one of the agreements was to continue hosting the space security dialogue and cooperate on space security. Although we don't know the exact details of this, it is very clear that the process of hosting the space security dialogue since 2021 has continued even this year. The the defense relationship, um, in fact, goes back to 2014 in terms of, in the context of space, when both Thales and Airbus offered the Ministry of Defense a whole host of space capabilities that would enhance India's capabilities in space, and it would augment um, India's ground-based capabilities as well. But unfortunately, India was not ready to take these agreements forward, and that deal fell, fell through. But I think the time now is right for India. 
And another context I want to bring up is that in 2012, India rejected the European Union's uh, draft code of conduct. Since then, a lot has changed. India, certainly one of the reasons India tested its ASAT was to get a seat on the table for any negotiations on uh, space threat reduction measures. And, you know, tomorrow, the open-ended working group on reducing space threats is meeting. So India's position right now is quite different. India has improved its relationship with the United States. India and the US have been hosting a space security dialogue since 2020. The same cases with Japan. And because India and France are closely cooperating on space defense issues, India will have greater leverage or a, a, greater, a, a greater voice in how it shapes space threat reduction and the, regulate, the regulation of space activities. So this is quite significant in the way that India has slowly managed to ease its way into international negotiations. Naren, you know, from your perspective in Europe, why have they decided to formalize this space and defense relationship, at least in this dialogue, to really marry up these two ideas? You know, what's the underlying motivation I think there are two aspects to this which are interesting, and it goes back to historical cooperation between India and France. Uh, one is, of course, uh, keeping in mind uh, the budgetary aspect, perhaps. You know, when you look at uh, the historical cooperation of the engine development or even, you know, satellite cooperation with respect to either Megatropics or Saral being built in India and ISRO. There's uh, an interesting angle where basically I think by two countries joining forces, you can reduce the capital expenditure, uh, you know, significantly uh, by combining forces, right? So, obviously, with uh, this has been done with engines, this has been done with uh, satellites between India and France, and now this is obviously a natural extension to a service like space situational awareness. Um, you know, this would also mean that uh, it gives a, a different perspective with respect to. Uh, even owning assets or even ground-based assets that can go along with the space-based assets because India can have independent ground-based radars that looks at it from its region, uh, the lat long that India covers and the French guys can have their own in their region, right? So it's not just the space-based angle to it, but there's also kind of a ground-based angle to it because India does operate a couple of ground-based radars that are uh, feeding into the space situational awareness uh, data platforms as well. So I think uh, these go very well into into the whole thing. Uh, the other part of all of this is also, I guess, uh, how uh, data can be fused to, you know, how do you build a platform that somebody can trust to then operate or take decisions on top. So one of the problems uh, with all of this is that if you mention that there's some projectile that is going to come and hit your asset, uh, the question is, you know, how accurate is your prediction and, you know, how do we have to go up or down or, or so on, right? So this is something that uh, with two two countries that are coming with two different sensors, if they get together, it could also be an interesting experiment because it sets an interesting precedent into having, uh, you know, like a global community agree on certain ways in which uh, people can agree on certain standards probably as well that certain sensors and, you know, when they are combined and so on, uh, that there is uh, one agreement over what is the end result of uh, either moving up or down or staying in orbit with course correction or not. So there's all sorts of angles that you can then explore with uh, with all of these things and standardization of a data platform or a advisory engine uh, eventually, right? So I guess it's also a little bit of um, 
knowing each other's assets and live assets and making sure that we are protecting each other's asset with the obviously a, the burden on both the french taxpayer and the indian taxpayer will be lesser if they combine forces well what's really interesting in this is that this isn't the first agreement even this year i mean india came to a very similar sort of agreement with the united states just last month so I'm wondering if this is more of a of a broader uh, diplomatic space defense sort of approach that India is embarking on. Uh, certainly, uh, I, I guess so because uh, not just it, it's not just the the agreement uh, between the United States and India uh, where they signed an where they signed an MOU to share uh, space situational awareness data, but India last month also published uh, its first ever uh, SSA report which gave a remarkable amount of transparency into not only the debris generated by Indian launchers, but also some of India's capability as to what it is able to track. For example, debris from Russia's ASAT test, uh, the debris created by Chinese space launchers. So in India is definitely going on a track where it probably wants to use space situation awareness as a mechanism for verifying arms control agreements or threat reduction agreements related to space security. And this has not been spoken of in the conference on, on, on disarmament or in the UN First Committee, but there's definitely going to be talk of what kind of a verification system that the world should adopt in order to verify activities that genuinely try to reduce uh, the threat of space debris and the threat of weapons in space. So let's move on to the other news that's coming out of India on space. Just recently, at the very end of April, the uh, ISRO released its annual report. It's 120 pages long with only a few blank pages. It's pretty meaty, guys. Again, for the listeners who are not familiar with how ISRO and the Indian government work, could you explain why ISRO publishes such an annual report? I mean, what is it used for officially? Narayan, why don't you start? Sure. So one of the things that um, you know ISRO does uh, with this annual report is it's basically a compendium or let's say an abstract, even though it's 120 pages long, of all the work that they have actually done through the year and they were able to do. So if you want to read that from a researcher's uh, perspective, uh, what you could typically do is uh, look at what did they ask budgets for and what types of missions did they actually ask budgetary requirements for and then match that with what were they able to do eventually because obviously sometimes you know most uh, organizations they kind of overestimate especially in the space sector what they can achieve and kind of underperform that's a hallmark of every space agency uh, around the world right so obviously you know this kind of gives uh, a viewpoint uh, and you know in the last couple of years obviously covid has hit uh, you know space missions around the world which means that isro should have also done lesser than what it planned uh, that it would do right so this would actually give that uh, kind of an overview but it's also a great way to get a sense of uh, what is what uh, what trajectory is the indian space program on for a neutral person or somebody who is coming in to learn about isro and the indian space program on the government side to come in and learn very quickly so what in the report in your estimation, really stood out? I mean, what would you say would be the top two points and why are they important? 
Right. So for me, I think uh, what is very interesting is uh, there are a few um, interesting turns that ISRO has taken beyond just the usual uh, space uh, mission. You know, one of the things that they mention in this particular report is a very interesting comment on space commerce. You know, that is uh, pretty interesting because uh, obviously, you know, with a lot of the things that are opening up around the world, one of the things that uh, ISRO is trying to drive is uh, a private industry ecosystem that matures in India and uh, is, has done, you know, new things. For example, they are putting together a space law that will enable the private sector to do a lot more things. They're putting together, uh, they put together a promotion and a regulatory agency called InSpace that will look at, uh, you know, combining things that normally an FA, an FCC, uh, you know, a NOAA or a Commerce Department does all together in one block together. So uh, that's a very interesting note because uh, normally it's something that is uh, you know, sidelined because commerce is a, is a separate thing as science and you know it's outside of the purview of normal engineers building space missions. So for me, as uh, somebody who is uh, keen on new space as well as looking at uh, building a larger global ecosystem, that particular thing really uh, stood out for me uh, as such. And, uh, you know, beyond that, I think uh, what is also interesting to see is uh, the human spaceflight program and how they are approaching that. Uh, that's been a new thing. Obviously, they are trying to launch first Indian from space uh, from the Indian soil. Uh, and, you know, that is, uh, again, a very big mission. And, you know, how the Chandrayaan, the mission to the moon and the mission to the Mars, Mangalyaan, they created huge waves in the country uh, for science and technology, as well as a lot of uh, soft power for India's, uh, you know, diplomacy around the world, and this is kind of going to be an extension uh, of that, and it's a natural trajectory towards even eventually having like a space station or or so on, right? So I think uh, those two particular aspects as to how they are now, you know, building towards uh, basically human rating the launch vehicle uh, that India has. And then eventually the crew module and everything else built and being tested and flown, as well as then, you know, the commerce part of encouraging the industry to plug into the global market and extending their customer base beyond just serving ISRO are two things that uh, in the annual report for me are very interesting. And Pranav, what do you think ISRO needs to accomplish this year and in the next five years and why? I mean, you're closer to the ground there to where ISRO is. I, I certainly think it's important for India to increase its launch capacity. Um, as we've seen, uh, ISRO this year had only two launches in 2021-22. It has only two launches. And uh, the GSLV that was supposed to be, uh, that, that was supposed to successfully launch in 2021, unfortunately had a failure due to low pressure in one of the tanks. Uh, and ISRO was very transparent in publishing the report and summarizing the report on the website. Uh, in the next few years, uh, in the next five years, India has to ramp up its capacity to launch satellites, uh, the small satellite market. The small satellite market is very, so, so, certainly very big, but quite limited. And the competition is quite high, you know, in the United States and in the UK uh, and in other parts of Europe. You certainly have a large number of uh, private players who are trying to enter this market and, and they're testing their smaller rockets. So one of the things that stood out in this year's report for me was the update on the small satellite launch vehicle, the SSLV, uh, which is India's new space launch vehicle that's supposed to carry uh, satellites or payloads up to 500 kilograms. 
so that was a very good update for me. It, it showed the progress in uh, how the engine's performance are doing, how was the engine test and performance, and in, in what year they're going to make their first launch. So that was very, very interesting. So in the, first five, in the next five years, I want to see ISRO ramp up its launch capabilities. The second, what I would like to see ISRO do is also transfer some of its intellectual property and allow for uh, the private industry to have greater participation in India's space com- in, in India's commercial space sector. As Narayan mentioned, the new space India. Uh, as Narayan mentioned, the, the uh, in space, which is a new organization that's supposed to regulate space activities. Uh, now, ISRO had a very very a one paragraph or two or two 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 paragraphs on this in their report this year. I would have certainly wanted them to talk about a lot more about what their plans are. That unfortunately was not there. So I want ISRO to sort of disentangle itself from being the sole uh, launch provider and, and 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 diversify this to the private industry or 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 create a separate company that is separate from ISRO. While ISRO focuses on the science and and the technology development, whereas the launch capability should be transferred to some a company that's completely independent of ISRO. And uh, these are the two things that are really important for India in the next five years. That kind of goes right into what I'd like to explore next. You know, it's not often that I drill down into a state's space industrial and trade policy, even though here in the United States, we've got a lot of stuff going on in different states, but it's a little too small. But Telangana is a special place. It's home to many ISRO facilities, and it's one of India's aerospace and defense industrial hubs. Plus, there is a measurable international corporate footprint there in the capital, Hyderabad. That includes the likes of Boeing and Airbus and Thales and even General Dynamics, and that's really just naming a few. In this context, Telangana State actually made a very interesting announcement recently. Could you explain what that announcement is and what's the strategic move here? Sure. So I think uh, you have to understand that uh, India is a federal state kind of uh, country, right? So obviously state governments are independent in their own decision making and they can try to do some things uh, that are within their own jurisdiction. So this uh, is one of the features where when a state government sees a particular sector go up, they are essentially competing for talent investment and many other things so that the industry can take advantage of the city and the talents that are within the city and the facilities and so on to you know become a launch pad where businesses can invest in that particular city so that the state government benefits at the end it's very similar to several american states where you have florida or texas or you know many of these other very space space cities or space states in the in the US. And essentially, it's a very similar phenomena where the state government is now signaling that we recognize space as a sector of growth for us and a sector where investments can drive uh, jobs and uh, uh, many other things that come into the city, right? So uh, this framework is meant to essentially establish that kind of uh, signaling to potential entrepreneurs and uh, corporates and investors that the state government is willing to work with them in making sure that they can uh, be a launchpad uh, for for those businesses to consider you know telangana as a potential state though the other thing that is also interesting is um, uh, i was also a part of the uh, deliberations that the state government had as a part of the consultation process uh, 
uh, informing the you know space tech policy there and so on uh, it was very interesting that they did take a lot of interesting uh, feedback from uh, local entrepreneurs and uh, people from outside as well to create that kind of a framework uh, what will also be interesting to see is uh, if the state government itself uh, becomes a customer for certain space based services to create that uh, demand uh, in that state eventually what would that uh, lead to is if the state really is benefiting from that kind of a demand it's natural that other indian states can simply replicate that or use those services so you're lo- really looking at uh, you know the state government and then acting as a anchor customer to the first set of people who can then replicate those things in other uh, parts of the country and obviously you know once you do something like that in india you can take that to southeast asia and africa and latin america where the culture and the price point at which a particular problems can be solved is much closer to to doing that with in you know if you've done that in india it, it is easily replicable in these other regions than taking something from the us and europe to to these other regions how will this framework actually work though i mean is this something that will support bootstrappers as well as even international players I think you know it's still very early days to decide all of that because uh, at the moment I would really look at this framework as a kind of a letter of intent uh, that then needs to you know go into really some very concrete programs that are then driven by the state government and uh, followed up uh, so obviously you know there could be support programs depending on what is the type of business if it is a support program uh, which you know incubates certain businesses gives them office space or certain seed money or it would also be an investment into a venture fund you know using the capital that the government has the local government has where it could be a capital investment that the government is making into a venture fund and that is prioritizing space as an area of investment it could also be uh, something more of a you know giving land and uh, for people to test things blow things up uh, with engines and so on so it could also be something of that nature it could also be you know trying to modernize bureaucracy using space based services in one way or the other either by improving tax collection or improving efficiencies uh, in systems using uh, and you know bringing space as a part of e governance for example or providing rural connectivity or so there could be several things it could also bring in a disaster management angle where re- responsiveness can be brought in by involving private sector folks to uh, then contribute to rapid response using space based uh, technology so there could be a number of things that uh, go into all of this uh, it could also be tax rebates to big corporates to set up their offshore centers or it could be development centers or all, all kinds of things that are uh, that could be possible right so it's really uh, let's say at the very beginning of this so and we'll have to see how this matures and if this matures you know if there could be possibility that other indian states can also start competing against them and that's what i at least hope for gentlemen thank you so much for your time thank you very much for having us on the podcast That's been a pleasure talking to Alora and um, we look forward to probably getting together on some other topics in the future. That's it for this week. If you like what you're hearing, follow the Downlink on Twitter and subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. For the latest defense news and analysis, listen to the Daily Defense and Aerospace Report podcast hosted by Vago Maradian and listen to Kavish Ships to hear the latest on what's happening in the maritime domain. 
I'm Laura Winter, and thank you for listening.